Ephesians chapter 5, again, verse 22 through 33. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in Ephesus, writes, Wives, submit to your own husbands as the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Um, right at the beginning, or in the middle of our worship time, Kaylin read from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. That passage of scripture is called the Shema, and it's a very fundamental and important uh, uh, passage in the history of Israel, because it laid the groundwork. Hey, John, could you put that up on the screen? Uh, I know that might take a second. I'm sorry. Um, but um, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, thank you, um, is, again, the, the guidepost passage for the family unit when it, comes to, uh, when it came to the history of Israel. And so you see here a declaration, a proclamation that's made in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. And then we sang it together after we read it, um, which was wonderful. Because committing these things to memory, committing this passage in particular to memory, is really important for us as we consider together um, what it looks like to be gospel witness in our community. Um, This is the way in which Israel was a light to the world. Um, to live as those who were set apart and who made a declaration um, together as a nation, but also as family units and households that uh, God is one. And that then our response to God's oneness is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. John, could you go to the next slide? You shall teach them diligently to your children. So you see the declaration, the response, and then there is a a clear clear, um, command. Teach them diligently to your children and uh, uh, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So you see command to teach everything that God has given to us in his word to 
um, to your children, to make your household all about what is uh, contained in God's word. Um, You talk about them when you sit in your house and when you go out of your house, when you walk in the way, um, and when you lie down and when you rise, when you're sleeping and when you're awake. The meditation of your heart should be on God's word. They are close to you. They are on your hand and between your forehead, um, in your brain, at the forefront of your mind. And as a public witness, as a public witness to the world around you, your home shall be marked by them. The very threshold of your house, the doorposts of your house should contain the understanding that God is one, that the Lord God is the thing in which Uh, is most beautiful to your family and most spoken about and most regularly communicated in your home. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So in Ephesians chapter five this morning, this is where we're going together. um, You'll recall, now I want to give you a tie into where we were last week, um, but, um, but Ephesians chapter five is further understanding for us in a New Testament sense of what it looks like to live out Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And I'm including chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 in that as well, in Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 um, through 33, which speaks to husbands and wives. And then Deuteronomy, or uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, which talks about children in their relationship to their parents. And then we get one verse here, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, uh, um, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So then parents in their relationship to their children. So What I want to do over the course of the next three weeks is spend time thinking about our response, our response to uh, what we talked about last week in John chapter 8, verse 12 in particular, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If anyone follows me, he walks in the light. He walks, he does not walk in darkness, but he walks in the light. And when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, embedded in that truth is that he is God, first of all, that he is in perfect sync with God the Father, his heavenly fa- his Father, and our heavenly Father, and he is walking in a path, and, and walking in a path for us, walking in a path other than the one that Jesus lights up, is walking in darkness. And so um, where we're going with all of this is understanding that God's word illumines a path for us. It gives us a path forward um, and it shows us exactly how we should live in light of God's word. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 through chapter 6 verse 4 give us a clear understanding of what it means to walk in the reality that Jesus is the light of the world in our homes, which is a continual and an important factor for us um, all throughout Scripture, how husbands and wives relate to one another, a, 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 a relationship that was grounded in the, ver- the very foundations of the world where God said it is not good that man be alone, and then he created a wife for him. For Adam, he, God created Eve. Jesus is the word of God in the flesh. 
And so the word in John, in John's gospel in, in chapter one, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So again, if Jesus is the light of the world, because Jesus is the light of the world and is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, Jesus lights up the path of life for us so that we can walk in obedience because he walked in perfect obedience and gives us new life in him so that we might order our lives walking any, uh, uh, and, and so that we might order our lives in the way that he did. And understanding that walking in any other path than the path that Jesus illuminates, that stepping any place other than Jesus' steps is walking in darkness. And again, this becomes dramatically important for us as Christians and as followers of Jesus because walking like Jesus walked, walking in the reality that Jesus is the light of the world is rarely seen as wise or best practice in the world's eyes. Um, and so I think that's, that's why we want to go here because there are many institutions uh, and many understandings in our lives as Christians um, that, uh, that the world looks at and says, well, that seems foolish to us. But emerging atop that list is the Christian's approach to marriage and family. Because the relationships that um, in the nuclear family the husband and wife relationship, the children and their parents relationship, um, those relationships are being twisted continually in our culture um, by trying to have the benefits of marriage with no covenant relationship or um, living in a world uh, where 50 years ago we had a, or 60 years ago even now, a sexual revolution which makes the sanctity of marriage trivial or um, rampant in our culture, rampant no-fault divorce in the name of personal happiness um, or unhitching biological sex from gender, or children who are continually conditioned in our world to dishonor their parents, or parents who seek to be wiser than God in their child-rearing, following worldly parenting practices instead of God's prescriptions in Scripture, or parents who have kids but who see them as an inconvenience or an infringement upon their time instead of a blessing from God, and therefore then neglect or out source important formational elements of their children's discipleship to others who are not responsible for, to God for them and might not even affirm that God exists. And so here we are as the church in Jamestown, North Dakota, affirming together, hopefully, that Jesus is the light of the world. And if Jesus is the light of our world, then on the doorposts of our house, on, between the, our eyes, at the forefront of our mind, we must be continually affirming that God is one and that God is Lord and that Christ is King and that our relationships, our marriage relationship and our nuclear family and our relationships with our children are first and foremost um, founded, grounded in God's word. So um, that was a lot of words, um, but that's the rationale for going here to Ephesians 5, um, right out of John chapter 8 verses 12 through 30. 
Jesus is the light of the world. We want to be families and homes that reflect. We want to reflect that truth in every, in every sphere of our lives. But because our culture is continually attacking the marriage relationship and the home relationship, this is one way where if we live according to God's word, we're going to stick out in our culture like a sore thumb. And it's going to give us continual opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those around us. So as our culture continues to walk down a road that is continually atheistic, secular, humanistic, rejecting God, when our families live like God live according to God's commands, we are going to be markedly different. This is the holiness that we are called to as God's people. We will become beacons of true gospel light because walking as Jesus walked is often in this area reviled and ridiculed. Now, if we're going to consider this together, if we're going to consider Jesus is the light of the world and we're going to consider then wives and husbands this morning, um, we need to recognize, you may be thinking to yourself, okay, so like we want to walk as Jesus walked in the light of the world, um, but Jesus wasn't married. Um, Jesus wasn't married in his, uh, in his earthly life. And so how can we say that we need to walk as Jesus walked when it comes to our marriage? That's the beauty of this passage because Jesus is betrothed to his bride, the church. And Paul uses this uh, understanding to, um, to shape and form our marriages, our relationships within the home, um, all under the heading of the understanding that Jesus has, its, has a bride and his bride is the church. Despite the fact that Jesus was not married to a woman on earth, as many of us are in this room, Jesus has a bride and his bride is the church. And that is the marriage relationship that all of, if you're married in this room, that's the marriage relationship that your marriage points to. Um, your marriage isn't an end in of itself. It's not a, it doesn't exist in itself as its own thing, but it is continually pointing to um, God and Jesus and his bride, the church. Our marriages don't exist as compartmentalized relationships, but they are rather road signs pointing to the gospel. So again, over the next three weeks, exploring these fundamental relationships in our home so that we might write the, the truth of God's word on the doorposts of our house and on our gates. The Apostle Paul outlines them in this way. First, this morning, wives and husbands, and then children to their parents, and then parents to their children. And again, when we see these relationships are lived in light of God's word, um, we will, in fact, reflect Jesus Christ. So if you're married this morning, the Bible is clear. Living according to God's word is the way for your marriage to grow and to flourish. There is no other option. The Bible is clear. Living according to God's word is to the way to have a marriage grow and flourish. But if you're not married, don't, don't think that there's not anything here for you. You may be young and you may be thinking to yourself, well, someday I would like to get married. If that's the case, then there's much to learn here because these ideas aren't worked out once you say I do. They're worked out and can be worked out in this context in discussions with your parents or with 
others who you trust who are married. These ideas can can uh, take root and be formed in you so that you go into a marriage relationship or go into a marriage or go into a relationship thinking to yourself, this is what marriage is. Secondly, if you if you're in a place in your life where you don't think marriage is coming, you can at least look at this or in any time in the near future, you can at least look at this and say, um, and I don't even want to say least, but you can look at this and say, I am placed here within the bride of Christ, within the local church, in order to build up the church and to affirm the, the marriage that all other marriages point to. Loving one another within and living within the context and the understanding of what marriage looks like here in the church. You can reflect Jesus by devoting yourself to his bride, the church, thereby upholding the biblical vision of marriage. So here's how I want to tackle this passage. And we're going to walk through it the way that Paul walks through it. Um, Simple. Um, First, we're going to look at what Paul says to wives in verses 22 through 24. And then we're going to look at what Paul says to husbands in verses 25 through 32. And Paul gives a wrap-up verse in verse 33. Again, some of the ideas and language here that's used is is culturally incendiary. And so I want to explore some of these things. But I want to offer this warning. That when we as Christians come to a passage like this, sometimes because the, the culture doesn't, doesn't like some of the language that's used here, sometimes we get bogged down in offering endless caveats. We get bogged down in trying to say, well, you know, in this situation or that situation, it doesn't quite work this way or that way. Um, what I want to do this morning is look at the words that Paul writes here. I'm, there, there are definitely situations that need to be handled case by case when it comes to marriage. Um, but Paul is laying out an ideal. Paul is laying out the way in which we should be looking to, in our earthly marriages, grow. And so that's what we're going to focus our time on. And I might add a caveat here or there, but I'm not going not to be weighed down with those, those things here this morning. So first, we're going to look at what Paul says to wives. Second, what's written to husbands, which is several more verses than what's written to wives. So these first three verses written to wives in verse 22, the phrase right out of the gate, Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And we're immediately into territory where the world is frustrated by that word, the S word, the submit word. Um, Submit to your own husband as to the Lord. And this is where arguments start to fly around about the definition of submission. We're going to get there. But in humility, we as God's people who are committed to God's word need to look at this and seek to understand what is meant here. I want to give you two observations in this simple phrase. Two observations. First, the command, wives, submit to your own husbands as the Lord is liberating. It's liberating in the sense that you're not required to submit to the other three and a half billion men on the planet. Um, You're required to, according to God's word, submit to one, your husband. Submit to your own husband. There's no reason, there's no need for submission to occur in this way um, to anyone other than a woman's own husband. And there are a lot of men in the world it's not a woman's prerogative to submit to all of them. 
just to the man she has been joined to in the marriage covenant. Look then also, though, that in this verse, there is an example. This is, uh, the command is accompanied by an example. As you see it right after the comma, as to the Lord. The, the Bible is clear. The Bible is clear all over that there is no absolute earthly authority. This includes husbands and wives. There's a lot of submission language between people in the Bible. Um, uh, there's submission. You don't have to go anywhere past verse 21. Just go up the page in chapter 5. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And Paul is talking about the church um, all together and that we would be submitting to one another. Um, we're called to, in Romans 13, submit to civil authorities. We're called in uh, Hebrews 13, submit to our church leadership. There's a lot of submission language throughout all of Scripture. Um, so when we get here, though, we have to understand that in every one of those instances, when it is a human being submitting to another human being, none of that authority is ever absolute. Um, God and his word, rather, are the ultimate authority. So when a husband is in step with God's word, submission is simple. That's a simple idea. When a husband transgresses or ignores God's word and leads his wife to do the same, there the wife is to obey the highest authority, which is God's word. On matters of conscience, where God's word does not offer direct insight, the wife there ought to submit to her husband and the headship and direction for the home even if she does not fully agree with it. This is all contained within this idea of submission in verse 22. So when Paul adds, as to the Lord, he's saying that wives should consider their submission to their husbands to be the same process, although not the same level of authority as submitting to the Lord. For a woman who reads Ephesians 5, through 24 and claims she would never submit to her husband, she immediately shipwrecks her marriage. She immediately, um, she immediately dooms it to failure. And of course, we, may, we can maybe think of an example or even entertain hypotheticals where an abusive husband might lord this passage over a woman. Paul has a lot to say to husbands, and so we're going to get there. If you take verses 22 through 24 and use them to leverage uh, a, a situation against your wife, then you've failed to take into consideration the full counsel of God and you need to recognize and realize that you are not living in submission to God's word as a a husband. However, we should never use experiences or even hypothetical situations to justify or ignore what God has said to us in his word. Just because the situation does exist which is heinous and a disgusting perversion of the marriage covenant, does not mean that we should throw out the baby with the bathwater and disregard God's commands for wives to submit to their husband. So what does submission to your husband look like? If you're in a marriage relationship, submission to a husband's headship, what does that look like for a wife? In our our culture has rarely gotten this right because some people will say, well, submission looks like what it looked like in the 50s or in the middle of the 20th century. Um, that's, that's not quite right because, because there, are, you, oh, there, there are situations where like, well, you, a woman can't write a check over $50 or pump her own gas. That, that's not at all what we're 
what what is being communicated. That's those are just man-made limitations. That's not bib, uh, biblical understanding of of submission. Um, a quick glance at Proverbs thirty-one um, will indicate quickly that a woman who is praised is a woman who is active and a woman who is able. She considers a field and she buys it. She looks at the forecast and sees that there's snow in the forecast and so she clothes her, her family in scarlet or um, she provides for food for her family. Uh, if we're looking for a definition, biblically for a wife to submit to her husband is to live in harmony with God's outlined role for her husband. So, those are, there's three things here that I want you to see. And we're going to unpack the, these because these get, get, uh, get worked out in verses 25 through 32. If we're looking for this definition, biblically, for a wife to submit to her own husband is to live in harmony with God's outlined role for the husband. To willingly and joyfully acknowledge her husband's God-given authority to understand that the oversight and responsibility for the home belongs to her husband and to patiently wait for her husband to take initiative in the matters of the home. This is a dance. This is a designed to be a dance where the husband is leading that dance. If you've danced before, the, the male partner takes the lead and the female partner follows. The wife is following her husband's lead in this dance. Note also, though, I want to point this out. Because if there are objections in your mind here, if there are objections in your mind, understanding submission and the wife's responsibility is not contingent on perfect conduct by her husband. Um, Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-5. through 5. She says, he says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won with a word by the conduct of their wives, without a word, by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. Which is in, which, uh, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Peter says that a wife who submits to their husband can serve as the catalyst for him coming back into obedience to God's work. This is, this is the nature of this. Peter doesn't say, well, if your husband isn't obeying perfectly, then, you, then you're off the hook. He says, rather, God may use you, wife, to bring a husband back into, your husband back into harmony with God's word. Wives and husbands, this is what I want you to see here. Wives and husbands are in a dance together understanding each role in the dance is imperative. So wives, submit to your own husbands as the Lord. And then we ask the question in verses 25 through 32, what is the role of the husband? So Paul spends three verses talking to wives and he spends eight verses talking to husbands. And the reason for a discrepancy is that the man's role is more important than the woman's role. Um, but rather that the man is leading the dance. And so he needs to at least have some level of 
understanding of the rationale for his leadership. He needs to understand why he's been given leadership. And that's outlined here in this text. The wife submits to the husband's headship. He is following the lead, she is following the lead of her husband, and she takes her dance cues from him. Uh, biblically, again, I mentioned this a moment ago, for a wife to submit to her husband is to live in harmony with God's outlined role for her husband. And I mentioned three things. Willingly and joyfully acknowledge her husband's God-given authority, understand that the oversight and responsibility of the home belongs to her husband, and patiently waiting for her husband to take initiative in the matters of the home. Now, I want to unpack those things, uh, and we're going to reemphasize those maybe in a little bit different language, but reemphasize those things as Paul emphasizes them in 25 through 32. I want to see, uh, and I want you to see first and foremost that the grounding uh, of the husband's relationship to his wife is Jesus Christ and his relationship to the bride, bride, the church. There is no other grounding for a husband's relationship to his wife except the relationship that Jesus has for his bride, the church. So, with that said, note in verses 25 through 32 the connection between the husband's role and sacrifice. The husband's role, sacrifice and submission. If you're to sum up the marriage relationship as given in scripture, sacrifice and submission. Sacrifice and submission. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her husband. Men, healthy marriages begin by imitating Christ's sacrifice. The sacrifice of Christ, men, is our primary call. It's our primary call. We wake up in the morning and we die to self. We wake up in the morning and we die to our self-interest. We lay down our lives for our wives. We lay down our wants and our desires. And you ask, we're like, when do I get to do the things I want to do? That's the wrong question. <laughs> um, die. You wake up in the morning and you die. Um, love your wife. Give yourself up for her. This is what it looks like, husbands, to mirror Christ. To understand that he came into the world, perfect, sinless Savior, Son of God, condescending from heaven, and he died. He died. In God's design in marriage, the way of submission and sacrifice is incompatible with worldly wisdom. And one way the world has devised a way to keep everybody, quote, happy in a marriage is what I call the marital barter system, where husbands and wives negotiate uh, their purchases and their activities um, based on leveraging them against one another. So I let you go on that girl's weekend so I get to go hunting. Or you got a new truck so you can't stop me from going on another shopping weekend in Fargo. This isn't sacrifice and submission at all. This is worldly wisdom. It's transactional. It's not love. It's transactional. Two disconnected people doing separate dances from one another on separate sides of the room that sometimes flail in the proximity of one another and step on each other's toes. That's what that is. It's not sacrifice and submission. But again, men, it's our prerogative to lead the dance 
And the way that you lead the dance is you wake up and you die. You wake up and you die to, like Christ died. Sacrifice your life for your wife. The second thing to see here in uh, 25 through 32 is that men should strive to lead their homes by taking responsibility to, lead, to live godly lives, to live in the righteousness that call, we're called to in Scripture. Jesus was the sinless sacrifice through his death. He paid for the sins of the world. Men, we can't atone for the sins of our wives. We can't atone for the sins of our children, but we can live in such a way that points to the one who did. We can walk in good works, in righteousness, according to God's word. And we're freed to do so through the newness of life given to us in Christ. We can strive in the strength that the Holy Spirit provides to live holy and righteous lives according to God's word. So, men, take an assessment. here's Here's the easy way for you to take an assessment if that's the case for you. If you're living according to God's word, um, this is the way, um, the barometer, the, the, the measuring stick. A simple measurement is this. Consider the morale of your home. Consider the morale of your home. Pro- Proverbs 29.2. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But where the wicked rule, the people groan. You can ask yourself, is your home marked by rejoicing or is it marked by groaning? If if your home is marked by groaning, check your own heart. Men, check your own heart. Are you living according to God's word? Are you living self-sacrificially? And this is a type of responsibility that a husband has to his wife to set the tone for his family to have the vision and insight to lead his family to Christ and away from sin, not into it. Into righteous living, not into groaning. Man, if you're not around enough to properly assess the state of your home, then resolve to sacrificially... um, take responsibility, to spend more time around your family, to see what they're struggling with, and then to address any sin that's inside of you that might be contributing to that struggle. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. Third thing here, follow the initiative. Men, follow the initiative that Jesus takes with his bride. Friends, we are dead in our transgressions and sins when Jesus came for us. There is no initiative that we took in that that moment. There's no initiative that we are capable of. But Christ goes and dies for his bride. The church, the initiative being his fully. Men are oftentimes sitting in the passenger seat when it comes to their marriage. They take initiative in their work, going out and doing big business deals and making grand plans, solving all of the world's problems between eight and five. But when it comes to their marriages, they don't know the difference between the gas pedal and the brake pedal. If you don't know God and don't have an ongoing relationship with him, spending time in his word, 
you will not be able to lead your wife or your family in any way. So here's what to do. Know God and initiate everything. Come home from work. I, I, I understand this. You, you had a draining day at, at the office. You had a draining day on the job site. And you come home and you are totally sapped. Friends, the Holy Spirit, men, the Holy Spirit will give you the strength in that moment to walk through the front door, to kiss your wife and say, how was your day? Because that's God's design for our marriages. To walk through the front door and not wait for her to initiate conversation with you, but to initiate, how are things going? How are the kids? And then to go to your kids, how are you? What was your day at school like? Their activities, ask about what they're participating in, their hopes and dreams on the way to soccer practice or whatever. Then talk with your wife about those things. Initiate in the home, initiate in the home, initiate in the home. Conversations about where you're going as a family, how you're raising your kids, how your kids are being educated, what you're doing and how you're saying it, what the tone of your home is, what the morale of your home is. Ask your wife to make assessments with you and initiate that conversation. Initiate, initiate, initiate. Women, this doesn't mean that if your husband doesn't do anything and doesn't initiate, that there isn't a level of responsibility on you either. If your husband doesn't care to read your kids the Bible or take you, your kids to church, you should do those things. You should do those things. Remember, there is no earthly authority that's higher than the authority that God has, that God of God's word. And so if your husband never asks you about your day, it doesn't mean you shouldn't ask him about his. It just means that we need to together learn the steps of marriage and how the leading and how the following, how the sacrifice and how the submission work. Man, you're called to lead in that dance. Initiate with your wife. Start the conversations, the intimacy. Start the vision. We want to know how to love your wife. It, Paul says it here. You want, to, you want to know how to love your wife, man. Nourish and cherish her as your own flesh. Nourish and cherish her. If you fall off the ladder hanging Christmas lights on your house, you're going to take an assessment. Did I break anything? Am I okay? Am I concussed? Don't, don't fail to do that with your wife. Some of your wives have fallen off a ladder emotionally every single day for the last year, and you've never initiated this conversation. You should nourish and cherish your wife like you would when you fall off the ladder. Don't get home from work, head to the garage or the basement, ignoring her injuries and letting her wounds fester and compound. Sacrifice. Die. Die to yourself. Initiate with your wife more than you do with your own interests. In the marriage dance, the main steps, sacrifice and submission. We want to learn them well. Because in these, we can reflect Jesus well. So as you go this morning, as you can, there's so much to say about this text. I could literally go on for another hour and then you would not be pleased. But, but, the, but, I, but I want you to see there's so much, I, I've only hit the tip of the iceberg here. Spend time together if you're married in this passage this week. And if you're not, spend time in this passage as well. Understanding the deep, gospel implications, the deep 
gospel implications that Jesus Christ came into the world and initiated with a group of spiritually dead, walking dead people and brought us out of darkness into light, into the newness of life. And they say, how can my life reflect this if I'm married in my marriage and if not in the church? Just a couple of practical considerations here, though, before you go. The first is this. The first is this. Don't point the, don't point the finger at your spouse. Because you may have heard, and you say, well, like, my husband, if he would just initiate, and if, if, if he would just sacrifice even just a little, this would be a lot easier. Or if you say, um, if my husband were to, uh, or if my wife were to submit even just a little bit, then our marriage wouldn't be so terrible. This passage is a call. Paul doesn't address husbands and then give the wife information. He addresses wives and then gives the wife information. He doesn't address husbands and give the wife information. He addresses the husbands and gives husband information. This is a call to take responsibility for your own heart, for your own role in the relationship, for the dance steps that you are called to. Wives ask, am I submitting to my husband as the Lord? Do I willingly and joyfully acknowledge my husband's God-given authority? Do I understand that the oversight and responsibility for the home belongs to him? Husbands ask, seriously ask this week, am I dying to self and self-interest, following Jesus, living a life of ongoing sacrifice? Am I taking responsibility for my personal sin? Am I taking responsibility to live according to God's word? Am I taking initiative in my marriage, in the home, or am I leaving those things to my wife? In our marriage, we need to be continually assessing. Always on a healthy marriage is always taking the temperature for the responsibility that we have for our own obedience to God's design for our role in marriage. Not simply looking to the faults of our spouse. We must understand that the dance partners need to both be committed to knowing their individual steps before the dance can flourish. The second thing to consider is this. God's ways are the best ways. This, this could be the application for literally every sermon I ever preach. So, but I want you to see this here in particular when it comes to the relationships that we have in our nuclear family. In the relationships that we have, husbands, wives, parents, children. We can endlessly be explaining away or dumbing down God's design in marriage in order not to offend others. But if you're offended as a wife by the thought of submitting to your husband, then it's the creator of God and his designs that you're first offended by. And men, if you're offended as a husband by the idea of dying to self and self-interest and have no intent of giving anything up for your marriage, then it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that's a foreign message and a stumbling block to you. Know this though, that trust Jesus. Trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, but trust Jesus for the, your marriage relationship. Go, and know that God's designs for marriage, even now, if in this moment, if right now offensive, and even if Jesus Christ is right now offensive to you, will in due time become beautiful and wonderful and life-giving to you. This was the whole preamble, the next the next consideration is this. This is a whole preamble to the sermon. But consider here, living according to God's design for marriage is evangelistic. 
Because when we write these things on the doorpost of our home, and when we live according to God's word, and it's evident to the world around us that our marriages reflect Jesus Christ, and our parenting reflects Jesus Christ, it is a great witness to the world. And it affirms his design is the only correct design. And it reflects Jesus Christ, who is the only light of the world. And there is only one correct design for marriage, and it's his design. The final thing that I'll say here is that the gospel must be the heart of every Christian marriage. Again, these gospel, the, the sacrifice and the submission, these two things are gospel principles. They're the very heart of the gospel. Jesus Christ came into the world to die. He came into the world setting aside heaven and died for the sins of the world. Jesus Christ submitted himself to the Father's plan. There is clear submission in the relationship between Jesus Christ and his heavenly Father. Similarly, the foundation of the love that is required for a husband to have for his wife is tied up in the sacrifice of Christ And the gospel of Jesus Christ, our redemption, brings us into submission to Christ, our King. We are not our own. You're not your own. We are freed. We are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are free to live in the designs that God has for us. Not enslaved by these truths, but liberated by them. Understanding that it is always better to live according to God's design. Wholly submitted to God as we were created to be before, as just like Adam and Eve prior to sin entering the world. These gospel principles are the framework of Christian marriage. Friends, living according to God's word is the way to have a marriage grow and flourish. May our marriages and our households and all that we are as a church, may they reflect a deep understanding of the submission and sacrifice given to us and put on display in the cross of Christ. And may we be marked by the sacri- that very sacrifice and submission he calls us to follow in. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for your word. God, we we often come to it unprepared. God, we often come to it thinking we know best. God, would you correct us? God, would you renew our minds this morning? God, would we take assessment, the understanding of marriage, and understand how better in the season of life that we find ourselves to live according to your word? God, would we, uh, God, would we, Write these things on the doorposts of our house and may the world know that we follow not not man-made, not worldly wisdom, but we follow the creator God. And we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.